Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Okay. Transcendence. What is God's relationship to time? He transcends it, they'll say. And they'll also talk about imminence. Okay. Both of these concepts, these are bigger words. You guys use better, um, more descriptive words. Everything that's encompassed within those two words, I think you covered. So great job. Let's talk about it a little bit more, though. Transcendence kind of means above, right? He's above it. I am not crazy about using that term because it, it seems to evoke the non-Christian idea of God being everywhere, but in a hovering, detached sort of way. Does that make sense? That's where my mind goes when I think of transcendence. So I think technically speaking, the word transcendence is accurate. But I think we import this idea. Uh, it's, it's the spirit of the age. It's the culture where, you know, we'll say we're praying for someone and a non-Christian would send positive vibes or that sort of thing. So transcendence is kind of like, ooh, God is everywhere. He's all things everywhere, all times. But none of it, none of it really has any... Uh, direct bearing on me. It's just a good feeling kind of positiveness, right? So that's not what we mean by transcendence. Um, so we'll try to zero in on the positive and accurate, biblically speaking, accurate meaning behind that. Then there's imminence. So transcendence and imminence. Um, Theologians do use the word imminent to describe God. They, they um, and you guys know what imminent means, so I won't spend a lot of time there. They will use these two terms in contrast to each other. These here. I'm sure they're making some good points. They're explaining things that need to be explained and studied by some people, but... I don't see these as in, they're not in conflict with each other. So I suppose contrasting is fine as long as we don't assume that they're in conflict with each other. Yeah. Um, could you tell us what imminent means? Yeah, yeah, sorry. So imminent is close. Transcendence above, it has a feeling of far away. Imminent is right here, right now. So we talk about the imminent return of Jesus, meaning it could happen anytime. It's close. Um, or, well, yeah, that, so imminent. So you have transcendence, which implies a distance in some respect, imminence, which, re, which involves closeness. Okay, so theologians, philosophers, they'll, they'll put these two in contrast to each other. Again, good points, I'm sure, but what I would rather say, and this is kind of the theme for this section of the module, what is God's relationship to time and space? He is Lord over it. As Craig said, he created it. 
So he's sovereign over it. He existed before it. He sees everything. He is the Lord over it. So is he, is he transcendent? Yes, technically speaking, because he is over it and he's above it and beyond it, but he's also imminent. The fact that we can't wrap our heads around that, or at least I can't, gives me no trouble at all. I don't mind not being able to wrap my head around something as big as this. God is way bigger than me, of course. He, he's beyond my understanding, so that doesn't bother me at all. He's transcendent and he's imminent. Bottom line is he's Lord over it. Okay. God is infinite, so that's the, that's the incommunicable attribute we're on right now, if you're following along in your outline. Here's from Psalm 147, Great is our Lord and mighty in power, his understanding is infinite. God is infinite. Scripture doesn't use this word a lot. It's used, but it's not used a lot. When it is used, like, it, like here in Psalm 147, it's, it's telling us something that can be put under another heading. So his infinity is kind of a descriptor for other things. Here, it's pointing us to his knowledge or understanding, for example. So what is infinite? It's his understanding. So in scripture, when you see uh, the topic of God's infinity or the word infinite, it's describing something else. His whatever is being discussed is infinite. Okay. So this is what we're saying. These we're making these two points theologically when we say God is infinite. God is free from the limitations of creaturely existence. This is what makes the attribute incommunicable. We don't share in these things at all, right? You guys remember that from the first week? That's what incommunicable means. We don't, we don't share in them. Doesn't mean that, that um, so knowledge is communicable, we said, but anything like this, if we're talking about the infinite aspect of it, it's incommunicable. So God is free from the limitations of creaturely existence. Second, God's attributes are supremely perfect without any flaw. So anytime you see the, the prefix omni before an attribute of God, you're in this category. Okay? And so infinite would describe any of those things. It, it would be the same category as any of those things. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Anything omni, we are not. Because as soon as you put the omni, I'm out. I can't. I can't compete there. That's not my, my thing. So he's free from the limitations, and it's perfect, supremely perfect. No flaws. Make sense? Questions or comments? Okay. That's pretty much it under, if you're, again, if you're following in your outline, that's, that's infinity. Moving on to eternality. God is eternal. 
So in scripture, the word for eternity or eternal, it usually refers to, to what? What are we, what is scripture discussing when, when that word pops up? Yeah, eternal life or eternal damnation. One of those two. We're talking about the, the eternal state, reward or punishment. Final state of reward or punishment. Um, sometimes it's used as a divine attribute, though. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Romans 1 also, I don't have it up here, I just picked the Deuteronomy passage, but for another example, Romans 1 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Okay, so I could have put that one up here. There's another one, Ephesians 3, says this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these are just a few examples of the word eternal being used in scripture beyond um, eternal life or eternal damnation. It, they're describing God as being eternal. So it is a divine attribute. Timeless, I suppose timeless could be another way of putting it. We talked about this back when we, when we gave our, our lists here. Um, God existed before time. He will always exist. He is beyond or outside time altogether. That seems like an obvious thing today. Okay, I, I know it seems obvious, but that, that's because we enjoy the resolution that came from battles in the early church. So it wasn't always this way. Now I teach my kids this from the youngest age, and they get it. There's no controversy. But it wasn't always that way. The early church really fought over this. And Augustine was one who fought against uh, the Arians on this. And so that's why I wanted to include the Augustine quote. So thanks to Augustine, we can just, you know, think of this as, as a given and move on pretty quickly. I'm doing all the talking. That's not good. Any, you guys have any thoughts or questions here? Okay, so we, we agree that God existed before time. We agree that he will never cease to exist. Christians agree on that. But the debate comes in when we talk about the nature of his eternality. So just a preview on this. We could, we could get mired in the weeds here. I'm going to try not to do that. But here is some controversy for those who like controversy. Everybody agrees that God's eternality means he existed without beginning or end. Then there's the debate, is it an atemporal thing or a temporal thing? The atemporalists further believe that God exists without succession. This, I'm going to just give you time to absorb that. It, the temporalists would stop here, okay? Yeah, he's God. He always existed. He will never cease to exist. But the atemporalists go, go beyond that and say, yeah, but the, the whole idea of 
time, in some sense, just doesn't even apply to God. So succession. He exists without succession. The whole concept of before or after is outside the category. It's not a category that applies to God. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It is. My, and so I'm conflicted here. I don't, I don't want to get mired in the weeds here. This is good stuff to study, but it's, it's not a topic that is of great interest to me. But I don't, if it is for you, great. I don't know. I'm not sure. It, it is important to understand, but I'm also, as I keep saying week after week, I'm very comfortable just saying I can't understand it. And so maybe that's the engineering mind in me. I'm an engineer by trade, and so if I don't think I have any chance of, of really understanding it at the end, I'm probably going to move in a different direction. <laughs> but this is valuable stuff. If your mind thinks this way, read about it, study it. It's pretty cool. But... Um, the atemporalist says that there's, there's no, to God, there's, there was no 1600s versus now. Yeah, Silas. Uh, I was just thinking, the important thing to remember is that God like, does not change. You know, he's the same before, mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. I think when you think about time, that that's often the thing. It's like, wow, we're different yesterday from today, or from 10 years ago to now. It could be different 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. As soon as I start thinking about time and changing over long periods of time, I, I think about how much I've changed in the past 20 years. And that just doesn't apply to God. Okay, um, let's move on from this. We're, we'll come, yeah, Wendy. Uh, it's too complicated. We haven't, we haven't discussed it enough to probably come down and say right or wrong. I think there are certain, I think there are certain aspects of the temporal that are wrong. Right. Yeah, and so I think. I think if we spent the whole hour on this question, I, I think this room would come down on the atemporal side of things. Yeah. And that's the imminent side of what we talked about a few minutes ago, right? So there's the transcendence and the imminence, and that's the imminent side. And I think if, if forced to choose between these two, I think we would land here on the atemporal 
category, maybe with some reservations or some qualifications, but I don't think that we would want to stop here. Yeah, I think that, that is very true. So um, we studied that a few weeks ago, but we studied it incompletely because really if we had a whole year just on these topics, we would study this and then we'd circle back and we'd cover that again because that really informs our understanding of his of predestination and foreknowledge. Craig? Are you saying it goes a little bit deeper because not only does he see the future, he's decreed. Yeah, he foreordains it and all of this. Yeah. So it's a huge, huge topic, and, and I'm not disparaging it. It's a good topic worthy of study, but we have 20 minutes, so. <laughs> Let's just end it, this slide, and say God's, relationship, God's relation to time is very different from our own. Fair? Okay, there's a whole lot more to this, but let's just for today, be happy to say his relationship to time is very different from ours. Here are some more scriptural examples. Someone earlier pointed to the thousand years passages. There are at least two, I think more, that talk about a thousand years is, you know, these here. Um, so we see, we see time as a limitation, don't we? Time passes either too slowly or too quickly. Um, my parents never said this. It was a new phrase to me, I don't know, 10 years ago when Jordan Doherty said, oh, growing up, my mom would always tell me, don't wish away time. Any of you say that to your kids or did your parents say that to you? There's so much wisdom in that. I wish I had understood that when I was a kid and as a young man. Don't wish away time. I see time as a limitation. So. Your, your kids right now, December, maybe, maybe December has been just creeping along so slowly because they can't wait to get to Christmas or they can't wait to get to Christmas break when they don't have to do school. Okay, it's moving too slowly for them right now. But you know, if you're a parent, it's going way too fast. You want to just pause in these moments and live in the luxury of having toddlers around the house and, and little kid, whatever stage you're at, as a parent, you want to you want to slow that down. So time is a limitation to us. It passes too slowly or too quickly, but that's not the case with God. He transcends it in that sense that I keep alluding to. Okay, But there's the imminent side of it too. Um, he has structured all of human history, all of history, to accomplish his purpose. So God looks at time as its Lord. It's his tool to accomplish his purpose. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. If time doesn't exist to God, if he's completely and utterly transcendent above it, over it, outside of it, then there would be no in the fullness of time sending his son. It would have just all happened simultaneously. 
does it, is it simultaneous for God? It's not for us. We know thousands of years between the promise to Abraham and the Savior being born. That's the fullness of time. I guess what, what, what I'm saying and trying to communicate, probably ineffectively, is that God is that amount of time between Abraham and, and, and the Savior being born is not nothing to God. He operated that way purposely to fulfill his purpose in the fullness of time. So he's not outside of it in that sense. He ordained it and he, he decreed it and it's perfect. So is God in time or outside time? Again, we, we can't even think outside time, so that question just doesn't compute with us. Time to us is, is a limit on our knowledge and our choices. I can't go back in time and make different choices. I would like to be able to do that. I could avoid a lot of pain and heartache in my life if I could do that. So I see time as a limitation. It's not that way to God. So there it is again. God's relationship, God's relation to time is very different from our own. Switching gears a little bit, if you're following it on your outline, we're through the first section and on to the second section. Here are three other incommunicable attributes. Um, your section of the outline calls this temporal omnipresence. Okay. Temporal omnipresence. What, what do I mean by that, do you think? I'm going to get you guys discussing this a little bit more. What, do, what does temporal omnipresence mean, do you think? Okay, omnipresence, present everywhere. So when I qualify it and say temporally, what's the distinction? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Are you saying that like it's, he's omnipresent right now, but he won't be at some point, or that he can choose to be, or isn't? No, not exactly. But good, that's helpful. Keep thinking about it. How would this? He's not my present in time. Yeah. Like I'm, in time, he's still omnipresent. What do you say? Octavio said he's omnipresent in time. Yeah, there are the two aspects of omnipresence that Craig said, and Octavio's right. Okay, temporal omni when we say temporal omnipresence, we mean he's present at all times. We, the, the children's understanding of omnipresence usually is space, right? If I put myself in the head of my seven-year-old, um, he understands this concept. He may not know the term omnipresence yet, but he knows that God is everywhere. When theologians say God is everywhere, they mean more than every space or every place. To the young kids, they go there, and that's just mind-blowing. And that's enough for them, okay? My seven-year-old knows both the positive and the negative 
aspect of that. God is everywhere. That's good to him. It's also means that God can see what he's doing when dad's not around. So my son Eben, he understands that. I don't think he really understands the temporal part of it at all. And so we'll spend a couple minutes here. God is omnipresent temporally. Bear with me one second, figuring out which stuff to skip. Okay, this, this is the, the imminent side rather than the transcendent side. He's omnipresent temporally. He is just as, as present in all times as he is now. Even though he accomplishes his purpose, as we said before, in the fullness of time, as we know, the biblical story is, is a historic succession of events, creation, fall, redemption, present time for us. All of this is um, God is present for it as if it's happening now. I don't know if I should say what I was just thinking. <laughs> well, I can't tell you if you should or not. When you say that, it just made me think, okay, so are we saying that as time moves, God moves with it, passes over, so therefore God is not there. I'm definitely not saying that he's not there. Okay. That's, okay. <laughs> that's the whole thing of this. He is. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. What's mind-blowing is to say that he is, he ordained it, he's causing it to, to happen in the fullness of time, but he's just as present at Abraham as now. The, the chronology of it, just he's outside that category. That is the question. That's the philosophical question um, that, yeah, Craig? Yes, definitely. I'm with you 100%. It's, it's a little bit more than that, though, because I was present um, when the Berlin Wall, I wasn't in that space, but I was, I was around when the Berlin Wall fell. I have no idea why my mind went there, but okay. I'm not present at that time now, though. And so this God being omnipresent temporally does include that. He is, in some sense, still, it's because he's outside that, the category of time. That's what the theologians want us to get here, is that he is, because he's outside of it, he's, he's there in a way that I'm no longer present at the time of the Berlin Wall falling. Not sure if that makes any sense. 
to us or or not. If Yeah, I, I agree, and I don't. I, we could probably spend ten more hours here and not gain a whole lot of ground. So, if this is a new concept to you, maybe you love it. It's pretty. It's a cool area of theology to study. I would commend it to you if you're if you're interested. But that's, that's it for us. Yeah. That God doesn't have his own timeline. He just doesn't have a timeline. Mm-hmm. I like how you put that because I think, I think that's true. What we do is we, we're quick to understand that God is outside of the box we want to put him in. So then as, we, as we're processing it, we wind up creating another box. And there's probably no way around it other than just to bow before him and say, I, don't, I can't comprehend it. And I can't comprehend it because of the limitations he put on me. So it's all good. It's fine. Um, I, as we move on, I'll say um, there is great significance to a God who is truly present at all times, particularly a covenant God who is present with his people in a special, more distinct, particular way. So God is present everywhere at all times. His presence with his covenant people is, is something that is comforting and just wonderful in every way. So I guess this could be summed up as saying God is always with us, okay? But I really, I'm hoping that I conveyed something beyond that, something deeper. He's not far off merely choosing to work his will through time while not being present with us at all times. That's, that's the heart of it. Instead, he, he's close. He feels the flow of time. Maybe that's a helpful way to put it. He feels the flow of time with his creation from one moment to the next. So he reacts. He mourns. Um, he rejoices. He hears and responds to our prayers. All of this flows out of what we're studying here. So he's with us in real time during times of rejoicing, times of struggle. 
He's an imminent God. His, the transcendent aspect of his omnipresence is not a bad thing ever for us. So he's temporal, but he's not merely temporal. He's Lord of it. Um, we are not going to cover a lot of the next section, but in your outline, there's the immutability section. Why, would, why do you think we would categorize immutability as having to do with God's lordship over time? Why does it fit in with um, immutability? Let me back up. Immutability means he doesn't change, right? He's without change. So why does that um, have anything to do with his lordship over time? Yeah. He's not staring down the corridors. You know, he's not, you know, uh, making decisions based off of his creation. You know, he's working within creation too. Mm -hmm. He's not changing. Rather, he's conforming creation to himself. Can you guys hear that? That was a very good answer. Yeah. He's not getting old and gray and or wiser or better, either of those things. Okay, so you, theologians put um, immutability as a category or something that touches on this time stuff. Actually, the point is that, he's, is that his, his lack of change is despite time. But we put it here because of our understanding of time and our, un, our knowledge of what it does to us. I'm different now than 20 years ago in large part because of all the things that have happened to me. And 20 years ago, I wasn't a dad. 20 years ago, I'll stop there. I wasn't a dad. <laughs> Lots of changes. Um, so I've learned. I've grown. I've failed. That makes me different. That changes me. Time has changed me at every point in my life. Time changes me. With God, he's unchangeable. He doesn't change. And so you can put thousands of years in there, and he doesn't change. Scripture, of course, refers to God as unchanging. In just a minute, we'll look at a couple scriptures that talk about what seems to be different than that. Let me ask another question, though. How is God's immutability a comfort to you? I mean, what he says is true is always true. I always have a, a foundation to always go back to. So my emotion, my experiences, and whatever people tell me, there's always one source I can go to that is faithful, consistent, and always promises you know you're not going to change what he says will happen mm -hmm. good very comforting what else Can you imagine if, if God were changeable, what fear that would 
would put in us. Also, um, his word is this part of that as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, in a world where everything is and everything is relative, that is Yeah. Yeah. Such a comfort. How could we not be just startled and troubled reading the news if we had reason to believe God was, had change. Anything else? I think that's an essential part of how God made us. I mean, to me, I feel like the human experience is we, we all desire something and not be changing all the time. Like, where is the rock of unchanging truth? And you know, God put that in us as a desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that draws me closer as I just appreciate Yeah. Great point. Excellent. Good stuff, everybody. Okay. We will not look at these scriptures because we don't have time. Let's just end with, um, with spatial omnipresence. So we spent a lot of time on temporal omnipresence, spatial omnipresence, God is everywhere. This is what my kids from the youngest age understood, okay? So I think, I think we get this. Um, God is everywhere in every space. I can't run from him, and I, can't, I just can't go anywhere where he is not. Your, your handout, um, it says special om, uh, omnipresence. It should be spatial. His omnipresence is also special, but that was not my point. Okay, this here just, eh, we don't have any time. Let me end with this scripture, okay? From Micah. Its heads give judgment for a bride. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. The context of this, the, the people who were in charge in the temple were doing wicked things. Same here. I won't take the time to read the Jeremiah passage, but you're familiar with it. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The Micah and the Jeremiah passage and elsewhere show us that throughout history, people have thought that by being associated with a physical space, they could make demands upon God. 
So I wanted to end here because I think, at least I personally, I think of God's omnipresence in this, often in the sense of he's, he's everywhere. But the point that I'm making here is that you can, because he's everywhere, you cannot make demands upon God and say that because I'm here in church, within the walls of this church, God owes me anything or there's something special about this physical space. So they wanted to dismiss the wickedness of what was going on because they were God's people and they were in the temple. So his immensity, his omnipresence, teach us not to trust in a physical place to be our protection. This, that doesn't mean that, there's not, that there aren't places that are more holy, more sacred. There are, and this isn't an argument for not coming to a physical church building, but it's an argument to say, no, don't be unwilling to analyze yourself and your motives and what you're doing just because you're physically here. We are out of time. I appreciate you guys. It's been um, a, f a fun module to go through with you. I really do appreciate your, your insight and your contributions. So let's close. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all of these incommunicable attributes. Thank you that you possess attributes that we don't touch at all, that you are outside of completely, that you're above, and you're perfect in every way. Thank you for, for showing us your love. Thank you for sending your son in time and space. May we love him and serve him greater and better. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.